Welcome to Make No Bones. I'm Emily Barton-Altman. And I'm Toby Altman. Make No Bones is a podcast about poetry and the creative life. Each episode, we ask a poet to read a poem and talk about it. They tell us how they wrote it and explain how it reflects the broader priorities of their work. This week's episode features Lauren Haldeman. My name is Lauren Haldeman. Lauren Haldeman is the author of Instead of Dying, Calendae, and The Eccentricity is Zero. Her work has appeared in Tin House, Gulf Coast, Colorado Review, Fence, and The Rumpus. A comic book artist and poet, she's been a recipient of the Colorado Prize for Poetry, an Iowa Arts Fellowship, a Sustainable Arts Foundation Award, and fellowships from the Iowa Writers Workshop. You can find her online at laurenhaldeman.com. We talked to Lauren about her time playing semi-professional soccer on Civil War battlefields and her current project, which braids together the historical and the personal. This poem is part of a a project I've been working on now for about 18 years that began with a single poem called Team Photograph. Uh, I think I wrote it when I was 19, and it was uh, basically a work about... I played a lot of soccer. I played basically semi-professional soccer in uh, Virginia, where I grew up, and it was sort of the beginning of me when I was here in Iowa City learning poetry, writing poetry, and I obviously was using poetry to start to sort out some of these experiences that I was having. I feel like when you're growing up, you don't realize you're a weirdo. I mean, I just thought I was just normal. I mean, I knew that I liked drawing and writing from an early age, but I also loved sports. I mean, I'm a jock, like I'll play any sport, except golf, I don't understand golf. You know, I was playing sports as a kid, and it never seemed to clash my personality of being sort of... I mean, I think I didn't know it then, but I'm an empath. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive. I just thought that was normal, a normal way to be. Northern Virginia, at the time when I was growing up, was one of the few places in the U.S. where women's soccer was just exploding. Uh, Mia Hamm, uh, one of the first women's soccer stars, she went to the school right next to mine so um and so I and I loved it I loved soccer there was something just so intuitive about it to me I knew how to I knew how to process the action I knew how to handle the ball I mean it just was very um natural to me and so I was good and getting better and my parents uh, signed me up for basically what was called then a travel league. I don't know what it's called now, but where you, you pay and you're and you're on this more competitive league and you're playing all over. I played striker, so I was a goal scorer. I was the person that was supposed to follow through and win the game. And the more I played, my personality started to clash with it. I just, I'm not a competitive person. I mean, I a little bit am, but I will always default to the collaboration. Um, I also um, am a, a weirdo. And I hate saying that because I don't think there is any normal, but I think those girls around 12 and 13 years old could tell that I w- was different because I was being picked on a lot. And I don't fault the girls at all. I don't know who I fault, but it became like a just extremely toxic environment. And now I look back and I realize, yeah, you're, you're a different kid, you know. You had a, I had long hair and a ponytail and I wore the bracelets and the braid in my hair. But, you know, I've always been 
non-binary and I have a feeling that that was becoming obvious. I also just was a lot more sensitive to criticism, competition. I remember always thinking that the other team was just girls like us and why were we trying to cause them harm? Or It was just, you know, it's just the wrong thought process for someone who was being basically groomed to be a professional sports player, which I was at 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 the end of my career, I was on about three different teams, and one was an Olympic development team where we were being trained to move on to play in the 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 national team in the World Cup and for the Olympics. I remember saying to one of my coaches that I wanted I didn't want to play soccer in college. I was being recruited by colleges by the time I was in tenth grade. I remember saying that I wanted. I'd wanted to go to college and actually do like art or uh, write. And my coach actually said, well, then you're a fucking idiot. And so I was running into sort of something that was surprising to me, which was I was in a culture and in a world that wasn't allowing anything else in. And that the self that I felt myself becoming wasn't being allowed in. I started trying to quit some of the teams and was stopped, was basically talked out of it. I was sort of at a loss as to how to get out. I was stressed all the time. I was constantly on some sort of, you know, sports diet, and I was on the, these exercise regimens and practicing and playing every day. I was playing up in Maryland. And there was a girl waiting um, basically to take my position, and she had been brought in as a halfback. And she, we were, you You could tell there was contention between us. She was just, you know, definitely looking for my job and trying to bring me down. And this is on my own team. I mean, it's so weird, right? She got the ball and she booted it. She kicked it as far as she could for for me to try to take a sprint to the goal. And I was so pissed and so unlike myself. Like I was just full of fury and anger and frustration and hatred, really, um, because of all the competition. I was running as fast as I could to this ball, and I sort of blacked out in this way. And I, I uh, pivoted on this leg to uh, move the ball uh, with my left foot past the goalie. And the goalie uh, ran directly into this leg, and basically my leg hyperextended backwards and just snapped my PCL in half. It hurt like the whole world was full of hurt and I could hear the pop in my body and I started I fell down and started screaming but in the back of my head I also thought this is my way out I thought thank like thank god this is this is how I get out I just knew I knew it was kind of a career ending injury the and the subsequent surgeries and physical therapy and all of that was eight, 6 to 8 months um, of really painful therapy and surgeries. And the whole time in the back of my mind, I thought, this is how I get out. This is the only way I get out. You know, I had this huge cast on and crutches, and I started making a ton more art and writing and reading. I was reading, like, ferociously in bed and as I recovered, reading poetry, finding new poets. And I heard about the University of Iowa, and I heard about the writing program and, and came out here and a whole new life. I decided probably several years ago, maybe five years ago, 
to tear apart one of the manuscripts that I've been sending out that had that poem in it and build an entire new book around that single poem. So the book is called Team Photograph. I was trying to explore how to figure out how to do this. I knew it, it, I didn't want a full book just of soccer poems. I thought I wanted some different angles. And I was still trying to figure out after, at that point, you know, 15 years of writing this poem, what it was about, what I was trying to get at. So I was exploring sort of where I played soccer. And I remembered that uh, I had played soccer on these fields uh, in a place called Bull Run Regional Park, which is right next to the Manassas National Battlefield, where the first battle and the second battle of Bull Run took place. I realized that we were playing less than a mile from there on fields that hadn't been designated as a national battle battlefield. And I thought maybe that's why playing soccer there felt so weird. Um, soccer, any sport is, a, is like a replication of war. I mean, it's basically almost like a training for war. So I had read, I had been reading a lot of work of poetry that was mixed with nonfiction. I decided that I'd do a bunch of research about that area and about that battle and that time, and I'd try to create a book around this poem about beats playing soccer on this team on this field. So I went and I visited Manassas National Battlefield several times, uh, toured it, walked around. I, uh, I took a lot of language from the placards there. So a lot of like field research. And then I also read a lot of the quotes, like the quotes that are interspersed in this poem came from a book called Donnie Brook, which was about the first battle. And then the more I read about that battle, I focused more on the beginning skirmish, which was with the Rhode Island infant infantry inside the woods. And so many quotes from the from letters of soldiers and stuff like that were just like haunting. I also was had found at the Walt Whitman Archive here on campus. He has journals and journals that he kept as a nurse. He was acted as a nurse during the Civil War, and those were haunting as well. I mean, he's writing about how they're bringing, uh, you know, carts of wounded soldiers and amputating. I mean, piles of amputated arms and legs. From that, I realized that the first Red Cross, so Clara Barton uh, founded the first Red Cross hospital about uh, four minutes from where I grew up, and they would, bring, they would bring the wounded from Bull Run to near my house. When we moved into this house in Fairfax Station, which was named after that railroad station that brought the wounded to these field hospitals where these amputated arms and legs were piling up in all of the research that I was coming across. That was when I started seeing people at night. As far as I can tell, it's a condition called hypnagogia, where you wake up and you see things. It still happens to me, but I don't, in Iowa, I don't see people. And in Virginia, I do. And that's what makes me think there's something more going on than just sort of a mental condition I have. I would wake up in this house in Fairfax Station and there would be men coming in my room or a woman at the end of the bed. And when this happens, I see my room, my bookshelf's there. I had a shelf of like soccer trophies, like a poster of Alf on the wall, like, you know, <laughs> it's your basic stuff. And I could see the bathroom out the hallway. And 
the men were there. What I could see of them, they were obeying the physics. The light was hitting them in the correct way. The shadows were hitting them in the correct way. They were digging. And I said, what are you doing? They said, we're digging a grave. When I'm in them, it's this sense of like, it makes sense, right? Like I'm a little freaked out, but not much. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And a lot of times I would have to apologize and that made them disappear. I don't know why that worked, but it just did. This one particular one, they were digging and there was an actual thunderstorm happening. I was watching them and then the lights went out in my house. So the bathroom light went out and I everything went dark because in real life, the electrical grid had gone down and and I was like are they still there like now I can't see them and then there was like a flash of lightning and I saw like a a face of a dead man like in a pile of stuffed animals in the side of my room I started to try to put these things together so what what are what am I seeing and if I'm only seeing figures and soldiers period people in Virginia and not in Iowa then there's something going on there and so the the whole project has started to try to weave together these ideas so I was reading a lot and doing a lot of research and compiling all of these sections that would uh, like speak to me from the from the accounts of the soldiers or from uh, descriptions of the battle and then I was trying to weave them into my own experience. This is called Tor. On what followed I have very confused ideas. The hallucinations begin when we move to Fairfax Station. Down the dark road, the crowds of wounded, bloody and pale. He remembered odd bits and pieces, like the fact that his gun grew. Some nights they come from the hallway. They drag themselves into my room. So befouled with gunpowder, he had to smack its ramrod. Most often, I just have to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I say. Against a fence to push in a cartridge, no one else seems to see these things. This week's episode of Make No Bones was produced and edited by Emily and Toby Altman in Iowa City. The music for this episode is by Toby Altman. If you like what we do, check out our website, makenobonespodcast.org, for all our episodes. Or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please consider rating us on iTunes, it really helps get the word out.